Watching that video, some of you are like, oh, I want one. Some of you right now are terrified. Thinking that's like wrestling an alligator. And you're right. It's so wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful families and some beautiful children. I had a lot of emotions right there. I'm thinking Honey Grove needs something to eat other than a tennis shoe. And the McAdoo kids totally out of control. And I had a lot of emotions going right there. Uh, It's clear when you open the Bible and look in the scripture that God designed human society around a family. That's what's clear. You will not get three pages into your Bible, two actually, but three really gets it going, before God is introducing whole families to you. The first man is there and God said, this is not good. A family would be good. And here comes Eve and here comes the children and it will be a family story from there forward. Now, I know that you didn't come to church this morning on Dedication Sunday to hear a rerun of you know, Father Knows Best and Leave It to Beaver and, and you know this because I think all of us have a really good grip and understanding that our reality is slightly different and the reality of the life we're living means that families look a lot of different kinds of ways for us right now. We do have the traditional nuclear family. I think you saw some beautiful examples of that on the video this morning. But in this room, we also have blended families and single-parent families and grandparent-parenting families and no-parents-in-the-picture families and adoptive families and foster families and step-families. I just could go on and on. We have all different kinds of families in the room. And I want to make these comments at the beginning because it really is my calling and my duty before God to uphold the traditional family. The one God designs, the one I'm supposed to be championing. That's my job, if you want to call it that. But every time I champion the traditional family, I never want all the other types of models that are present in the room to be disparaged. Uh, And that's a hard balance for me, because you want me to champion marriage. Yeah, praise God. I'm I'm not sure I'm in a Baptist church this morning. Uh, (laughs) You want me to champion marriage. You want me to champion a walk with God. You want me to champion strong Christian parents and all of this. But the reality is we live in a very mixed up situation. And so I also want to call out our, just for a moment, our single parent parents. Our single parent families that also are here in the room. We have some awesome single parent models here. And I just want you to know we do recognize you're doing the job of two people. And we know this is not easy. And as they were just saying on the video, this is why we look to our Cornerstone family. This is why we need Cornerstone family. And if it's true in a two-parent model, it's definitely true in a one-parent model that you need grandparents and you need aunts and uncles. And if they're not all blood kin, at least they're aunts and uncles right here of spiritual kin and brothers and sisters in Christ Listen, I I may need to watch that video afresh, or maybe you need to watch it afresh, if for no other reason, just to remind yourself how much you need grandparents. Gosh, your arms have to be exhausted from wrestling the alligators for 17 minutes. You need grandparents and friends and family. Listen, you're going to need a date night. 
And you're going to need to call some of your church friends and say, I've got to have a, I've got to have a date night. I've got to have a break. Please, can you, can you watch the kids for a couple of hours? We need to be doing that for each other. And we need to champion the success of our families. We also have foster families here. And uh, it's great ministry. It's, it's a godly thing to do. And uh, if that's something you'd like to be interested in, something that you'd like to talk to, then you need to find T.G. Vincent and, and sit down and buy her a cup of coffee. And, and they would love to share with you the experience that they're going through and how you could be involved in that. We have adoptive families here in the room. You are heroes to me. You have literally saved the lives of children by bringing them into your family and getting them off the streets and giving them a chance to know Jesus Christ. Listen, by page three, you're, you're seeing the first family and sin enter the world and society get broken, which leads to the next family story, which is about page five or six in your Bible. And that's Noah and his sons and their wives and their family and how God saves the world through, through Noah and the ark and all of that. And that leads to another family story, a man named Abraham and Sarah and, and their children, the patriarchs, and become the children of Israel ultimately. And that leads then, after about a chapter turn, the book of Exodus opens with another family story, and that's the family story of Moses and his family. And then he takes Abraham's kids, all of the family, called the children of Israel at that point, and takes them on a journey. Now you can skip about 30 chapter, 30 books in your Bible and you'll come to the New Testament and the next thing you know you're reading about a family. New Testament opens with a genealogy, a birth record. Here's the parentage. And it starts introducing to you a family, Mary and Joseph. And here comes baby Jesus, the Savior of the world. And really the rest of your New Testament is about a family. Now it's not like birth family like Abraham and ancestry, and genealogy, and there are no more genealogies in the rest of the New Testament. You know why? Because now it's all about being born again into the family of God. And now the family of God is what's being championed for the rest of your Bible, and really what I'm here to champion this morning. And all the Bible stories, all the way through, parents play a critical, prominent role in those stories. Parents are indispensable. Uh, one of my favorite children's books is this book, Are You My Mother? Has anybody read this book? It's always been one of my favorites, uh, entertaining little book. And, and it follows a confused baby bird who's de- denied the experience of imprinting, they call it. And because the baby bird didn't get to imprint with its mother, we follow the baby bird's journey as the baby bird begins to ask cows and planes, and steam shovels, the big question. And the big question is, are you my mother? The baby bird's trying to figure out, who am I, why am I here, what's my purpose in life, where am I going? In the end, the baby bird's reunited with its mother in a glorious moment of recognition, and you are left with the impression that now the baby bird understands family and its purpose in life. His purpose in life is to be a bird, not a steam shovel. Now, I just want to take that wonderful biblical theme and just draw on that for a moment because like the children's book, the Bible points also, all of us, to the fact that we are here for a reason. 
And without the foundation of a relationship with God and knowing where we came from and why we're here and how God made us and how He designed us, we're going to miss the whole big picture that we're supposed to be true humans, born again after the image of Jesus Christ, living as angled mirrors, images of God, reflecting glory to God and reflecting God to a broken world. That's our purpose. And we find it in the book called the Bible. And because the Bible is family-focused, it won't surprise you that the Bible is famous for giving instructions to parents. Instructions to parents are all in the Bible, and one of the most famous passages that I just want to mention this morning is in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. It's one of the most famous passages for all of Israel, the Shema. It's one of the most famous prayers for all Jews. I'll just read you a few verses of Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be in your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them. And again, the them is the teachings of God. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and upon your gates. Now, however you want to translate all of that, let me just get to this point this morning. Biblical instruction forbids us from passive parenting. That is not passive. Those verses. That is the active voice. That is, parents do this. Stay, do, continue to do that. Don't stop doing this. Continually put the principles of God before your family. Ladies and gentlemen, we as God's children, as followers of Christ, we are forbidden to adopt the world's philosophy, which says, I'll just let them discover God in their own time. I'll just let them make their own choices. You are forbidden from this parenting model. Now, this is crazy talk. Well, I'll just let them find their own way. So you're just going to let them do that with potty training? They'll figure it out when they figure it out. You're not going to be involved. Just whatever. You're going to do that with learning to walk? No, you're active. Come on, you can do it. Get over here. You're so active, you stay with it until they can. You're going to take that track about learning to speak and talk and read? I'll just let them figure it out. No, you will not. Mama, mama, say mama, say mama. And it's a battle. The battle is on in every home to see what the first word the kid's going to say. It's going to be mom or daddy. Grandparents are working for other names. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's the battle that's on. And you're going to stay with it. You're going to say mama four billion times to your child until mama sticks in the brain of that child and they recognize you are mama and if I say mama, you will come and you are my mom. You know, that took time and repetition. This is what God's saying. Deuteronomy 6, stay engaged in parenting. Pastor Erica, the team took all those students to, to junior camp. What if we had adopted the philosophy? We'll just let them figure out showering on their own. <laughs> they would not have discovered a shower during the week. Instead, we have to direct them to the shower, show them how to work the shower, and say, get in there, we'll see you in a few minutes, you know? You, you have to lead them. You have to stay engaged with them. You, you, you can't let up on that. Now, I want to replay a quick Bible story for you this morning. 
about the powerful influence of parents. The child of these parents grew to be one of the most famous leaders in all of human history, one of the greatest leaders in all of history, and a great man of God. Obviously, Moses had a father. Hello, that's how you get here. But his father's not talked about so much. We don't know a lot, and when you understand the background, you put some things together here. But Moses had two mothers. Moses had a birth mother, and Moses had an adoptive mother. One mother was an Egyptian princess. One mother was a Hebrew slave. One mother was a worshiper of God, very devout. One mother was a pagan. She was a worshiper of idols. One mother was poor beyond your imagination, suffered greatly. One mother was rich beyond your wildest dreams. One mother's skin was soft and supple, beautiful, flawless. One mother's skin was dry and damaged by the sun. One mother smelled of sandalwood and lavender. One mother smelled of sweat and labor. One mother was educated in all the wisdom of this world. She had access to all the information of the ancient world. One mother didn't have that higher education, but she was versed in the wisdom of God. Both mothers loved their little baby, their young boy, And the adult he came to be. Both mothers taught Moses. Both mothers protected Moses. The slave mother had to learn to share her son with the world. The princess mother had to learn to share her son with God. The slave mother gave her son away to save his life. Unimaginably hard. Unimaginable what I'm about to describe to you. When I describe what she did with that boy, I want you to think about these babies and you do it. It's just unimaginable. You can't even fathom that this, I mean, this is a truly, truth is stranger than fiction story in the Bible. You're saying, I'm not sure it's true. Well, the little baby in the boat is Moses and he's the one who wrote it down. When he came to understand it all, he's the one who enshrined his mothers on the pages of the book of Exodus. Both mothers were loved by Moses. The princess was no less his mother than the slave who gave birth to him. The slave was no less his mother than the princess who provided for Moses all of his life. Parenting is not about birth or ancestry. Parenting is about choosing to love and then staying engaged. God loves your family in all of its uniqueness. And I realize as I'm reading an ancient story about ancient Egypt and, you know, the great deliverer, I realize that's not your environment, but I realize also you have your own unique story, your own unique conditions And God has put you in your unique family. I I may even say crazy family. God has put you in your mixed up crazy family 
so that God can work His purpose through you and your home. You have to see that you are as important in the plan of God as this baby in the story. In Exodus chapter 20, we're introduced to his mother's proper name. Her name is Jochebed. It means uh, to God be the glory. The Lord is my glory. God be glorified. And I learned a little something from her, and I, I, I want to imprint that upon you this morning. My goal is that every mother and father, every grandparent, every aunt and uncle, and every Christ follower here this morning, that you would leave here with something in your heart that says, I want to be like this. I'm seeing on the page of the Bible. To God be the glory, be the theme of my life. To God be the glory, be the, the song of our family. To God be the glory, be the story of our home. I, I want you to say to God today, God, I want my home to bring glory to you and my family to bring honor to you. I, I want to build a home where God is worshipped in our home. Where our home is a place we can pray freely and we can revere the name of God. I want our home to be a place where mom and dad express their love openly for one another. I want our home to be a clean and a safe place where children can learn and grow. Where they can learn about God. Where they can learn what the meaning of love is. I want our home to be a happy place and not an angry place. Not a place of raised voices, but a place of kindness. Parenting is not ownership. I feel like I have to remind us all this sometimes. Parenting is not ownership. You do not own them. Parenting is not about controlling them. Gosh, what an example we had here this morning. You can't control them. And that's not really what parenting is about. Parenting is about creating an environment. It's about investing. It's about involvement. It's about influence. And then it's about releasing them into the world. But let me quickly take you through the story of Moses. It won't take but a moment. Parents create environment. That's the first thing I want you to know. Maybe you're a new parent or maybe you're a grandparent helping your kids be parents now. Don't forget that parenting is about creating an environment. The birth of a baby, gosh, it's supposed to be a happy time. I heard several of our parents talk about we had to go right into the NICU. We had to go right to this, you know, baby came. Or, boy, you just, you realize you are not control, are you? You're not control the circumstances and, and things are happening constantly. And uh, the birth of a baby is supposed to be a very happy time. But for Jochebed, Moses' birth mother, it was not a happy time. It was a time of great anxiety. She was bringing a child into a very, very dangerous environment. A very dangerous world. The land of Egypt was a pagan land. It was filled with idols. And because of their idolatry, they had a very low regard for human life. And the Egyptians began a program of ethnic cleansing, modern word, to eradicate the, the Jewish males. And Pharaoh decided he'd do it at birth. Let me read you from the scripture, Exodus 1, verse 7. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, and they multiplied greatly, and they increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Verse 8, then a new king, Pharaoh, to whom Joseph meant nothing. The old KJV says, who knew not Joseph. A new king now comes to power that has no godly influence in his life. That's the reference to Joseph. Verse 9, here's what Pharaoh says. Look. He said to his people, 
The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. So what's his edict? In verse 22, here's what Pharaoh says. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. We'll sacrifice all the baby boys to the Nile god and the crocodiles and we'll kill them, ethnic cleansing, but the girls you'll keep alive. And I'll let you figure out why, why they did that. Jochebed already had two children. She has a teenage daughter named Miriam. She has a little three-year-old boy named Aaron. And now she's about to give birth to her third child. This is her circumstance. And you understand now why this was an anxious time. I know that's not your circumstance. And our culture brings to us our own special anxieties. Uh, the poll that was released, I think my Barna this week, said for the first time in, in American history, America now polls less than 50% Christian. This is post-Christian America. We've been telling you for 10 years, this is where we're going. We're following Europe. We're following Australia. We're following the trend. We are in post-Christian America now. Uh, society is going to look different for those of you who are followers of Christ. You're not raising children like your grandparents did. It's a different world. And grandparents don't say to your kids, well, when we did it, my back, back. we're not back in your day. We're in a whole different America now. We have a whole different world right now. And we need to be sensitive to that. And there's some anxieties that come with that. And while all week long we're coaching the Nicaraguans and the Indians and the Nepalis about how to parent in abject poverty and the difficulties of that, you guys have a completely different problem here this morning. You guys have to figure out when faced with the negative effects of affluence how to parent your children. Uh, don't let you wrestle with that for a minute. So I just want them to have it better than I. I know we all do, but that doesn't mean they'll turn out to be better people. Sometimes the struggle is what makes you strong. And I'm not saying make them miserable. I'm just saying you've got to figure this out as a parent. This is your burden. This is your challenge. The burden of every Christian parent is to bring up their children to love Jesus Christ in a world environment that is anti-Christ. This is what John spoke to us about when he wrote his letters at the end of your Bible. Here's what John said. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not from God. Every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Do you all ever hear any voices on TV or in the community not acknowledging Jesus? Those voices are not from God. Now John goes on to elaborate. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Now that's not a capital A in your Bible. That's a small a. And again, we'll talk more about the Antichrist. Wipe that from your mind right now. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the spirit of Antichrist, which drives the world system that is anti-God. John says if they won't acknowledge Christ, this is Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, is now already at work in the world. Now, here's your challenge. You're not Jochebed. The Nile is not your problem. You've got a different challenge. Your challenge is to create a home environment in a, that is Christ-centric and God-honoring in a world and in a culture 
that is anti-Christ. That is your challenge as a parent. And those of you who are well into parenting understand that it is not an easy challenge to conquer. It's not something you can say, okay, we'll do this and we've overcome the world. No, it's a constant thing to stay engaged with. Now, for nine months, Moses' parents wrestled with the situation. If it's a boy, Pharaoh's edict says they will come and get him and they will kill our son. If it's a boy, they will kill our son. Now you talk about not happy pregnancy. For nine months, in a world with no sonograms, you're carrying a baby and you're dreading every moment saying, if it's a boy, they're going to come and kill him. If it's a boy, they're going to kill him. They will kill my child if it's a boy. What can we do? Well, I'll tell you what they decided to do. They said, whatever we do, we cannot accept the status quo. Parents, whatever you decide to do in your parenting to to build a a Christ-honoring environment, be good Christian parents, whatever you do, here's some advice for you from your pastor. Don't accept the status quo of this world. Decide that you can do do something different. Decide that you will go against the spirit of of the world. And, And in those days, the midwife came and delivered the child. Let me fast forward. The midwife came and delivered the child. And when the midwife delivered the child and cut the cord and started washing the baby... Jochebed, with broken voice, asked the question, Ma'am, I'm scared to look. The, bo- the, the baby, is it a boy or a girl? The midwife said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Jochebed. It's a boy. They're going to kill it. Now you just feel the tension of that for a minute. I'm so sorry. It's a boy. Exodus 2.2. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now I don't have time to give you the history on this because of the festivities today. But the history books go to great detail to tell you how handsome Moses was. It's a very unusual statement. Little baby, he's so handsome. It's a bit of an unusual statement. Uh, Babies aren't always that handsome. Yours is, I know, but they're not always that handsome. And uh, even the princess of Egypt, when he becomes a grown man, Josephus wrote a whole paragraph in the history book and said when she saw Moses riding in his chariot coming to conquer, she looked down from the tower and fell head over heels, sight in love right there on the spot. Moses is a beautiful little baby, and she tried to hide him for three months. Which leads me to want to say this to you this morning, that parents have to make investments. This woman of courage and strength, despite her fears, despite all of her tears, this Hebrew family comes together and says, we're going against the status quo. We are going to save our little boy, whatever the cost. We will not let him be a victim of this world. We're going to do something. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. Which reminds me, I also want to say this to you this morning. The lives of little babies are precious to God. They're precious to us. They're precious. Well, let me say it this way. Because they are precious to God, they should be precious to you. You should love what God loves. And he loves. And listen, the Bible's full of this. That you're not to abuse the widow and the orphan. And you're to take care of the poor. And you're to care for these fatherless children. You're to love them. And you're to protect them. And when the sojourner comes into your country, you're to take care. Listen, the Bible's full of this kind of talk. 
social justice kind of talk is in the Bible. And God demands that His people live up here in caring for other people. That motivated us as a church. And it's one of the reasons that we as a church many years ago started Grace Children's Home in Myanmar, a country that is being ripped apart right now by war. That started a few months ago. We're trying to talk to our disciples, can barely even get through to them because the Internet's under control of the government, the tanks are in the streets, people are being shot everywhere. We started a children's home in that country years ago. It's the biggest one we started. Hundreds of kids in your Grace Children's Home right now in Myanmar. You say, well, who feeds them and who cares for them? Our disciples and your giving dollars care for them. You say, why do we do that? Because God would want us to. That's why. And we started uh, Cornerstone Mission School in India. Uh, you say, why? Because poor children need access, access to education, in our opinion. And some of them are orphans, and they come and stay there, and they live there, and we educate them. And your missions giving helps us do things like this. You say, why do we do it? Because these little souls are precious to God. Listen, I'm praying that the more we talk about it, maybe you'll get out of debt, get your spiritual life in order in your home, and, and give more and do more and make a bigger impact around the world. Because our actions as a church must say, that we view little boys and girls as gifts from God. Our actions need to say that. It's not enough to just say that and then just walk away and do nothing. Our actions have to say that we actually believe what the Word of God is leading us to do. So we're going to do whatever we can to help them find and fulfill God's purpose for their lives. Here's what it says in Exodus. She hid him for three months. Verse 2. She hid him for three months. Now I don't know. I mean, you saw that video. You understand what I'm saying right now? It's like wrestling an alligator. So you know you can't hide them forever, for sure. There's no way. I mean, there's not enough Benadryl in the world, okay, to keep them calm. She hid him for three months. That's the Bible's statement. But she can't hide him any longer. She's found, he's found his little lungs, and now the whole world's going to know he's there. And she says, I can't hide him, but I will not see my son destroyed in the river by this pagan genocide. Now, a little bit of what God put into that woman, I want God to put in every one of us this morning. I just want God to put a little bit of Jochebed spirit in you this morning. Where you'll say, listen, with God's help, I'm going to determine that my kids will not be victim to this world. I'm just seeing Josh and Kirsten over here. They didn't have kids. But you're investing in our kids. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. You don't have to have kids to make a resolve like this today. You can say, I don't have my own, but I'm helping care for yours. And I will not let them be victim to this world system. So you're going to have to decide to advocate for your child. You're going to have to stay active in the parenting process until the child becomes an adult, until they find God's will and plan for their life. You say, when does it end? Susan and I, every week of our lives, almost every day of our lives, are having discussions about how to help our sons find and fulfill God's plan for their life. They're 21 and 23, about to be 22 and 24 in a few days. You say, when does it end? Well, I'm at 24 with my oldest. I don't think it ends. 
Just my experience. I've only got 24 years of experience as a parent. Some of you have a lot more experience as a parent than I do. But I don't think it ends. If it hadn't ended by 24, I don't think parenting ends. I think parenting is not a phase of life you go through. I think it's something you've made a commitment to once you decide to have children and you're in all the way now. Does that sound fair? Some of you are a lot older than I and you all have to, I'll have to defer to your judgment this morning. But I think you have to be all in and stay active and engaged all the way. It's not easy to parent. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take unending prayer on your part. You're going to have to ask God for divine wisdom every day. It's going to require intentional investing. Please, if, you, if you tune me out after this sentence, please hear this sentence. Jochebed realized she could not keep her son out of the river. So she decided to get him into a boat. If you don't hear anything else I've said today, please hear this. She realized she could not keep him out of the river. It's bigger than she is. She has no control. He's going into the river. But she said, if my son is going into the river, then I'm going to put him in a boat. Do you understand the genius of this woman's parenting? Exodus 2, verse 3. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket. The old KJV calls this a what? An ark. It's a little baby boat. (laughs) She got a little basket, and she coated it with tar and pitch, and she put a blankie in there, and a pasty in there, and bottle in there and I don't know what all she put in there his favorite toy I don't know she you just see a mom getting it all ready and she put the baby put the child in it and put it among the reeds near the edge of the river now here's what's not written but I'm going to ad lib a little bit and she said to her teenage daughter Miriam I can't watch this thing is crocodile infested Swift currents and eddies. I can't watch. Baby, go with God. I can't imagine looking at your little girl doing this. And say, we can't protect her. She's going in the river. Okay, the only thing we can do is put her in a boat. Put her in the boat. Say, God, you've got her. I can't watch I'm going to go pray. Miriam, follow the basket and see where it goes. Follow the boat, the baby boat. There are three arks in the Bible, in the old version. Noah's, Moses's, and the Ark of the Covenant. All three times the word is used, picture of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand what's happening right here. She's saying there's safety in Jesus. I can't keep him out of the river. I can't keep him out of the world. The only thing I can do as a parent is get him into Jesus Christ, get him into the boat. Now, we do everything we can to shelter our children from the world, but ultimately you can't do it. I know that hurts for me to say that on a Sunday morning. We do everything we can to protect our kids. Ultimately, you cannot do it. Most of our friends have their children in public schools. Uh, Some of our friends have them in private schools, Christian schools. Some of our friends homeschool their kids, and that's... 
That's a family decision. So if you come to me and ask, what should I do? Here's what I'm going to tell you. That's a family decision. Every family prays about that, and every family decides what they're going to do in their education of their child. And that's, that's a family decision, and you, 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 you do whatever you want to do. But I want to say this to all the groups. Sooner or later, before it's over, your children are going out into the world. Either way you go with their education, you say, well, I'll keep them in a Christian institution all the way through university. And then? And then what? They work in the cafeteria of a nunnery? I mean, then what? There has to be yet another step. What I'm saying to you is eventually your kids are going out into the world, so every parent must get their child into the safety of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if they're in the safety of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can send them down to UT and not stay up every night. You can send them out to East Texas. What are those lumberjack? What's the name of that school? Hick school out there? Oh, just, just messing with you, Brendan. Just messing with you. What, what I'm saying to you is if you can get them into the safety of Jesus, you don't have to fear about them going out into the world. Parents and grands, the grandest thing you'll ever do is lead your child to faith in Jesus Christ. And a lot of grandparents get the privilege of being the ones to pray with their kids. That's how much influence you grandparents have. More important than the clothes you put on their back will be the faith that you parents put into the hearts of your children. Maybe if I could get you to hear one more statement this morning, it would be this one. Christ living in our children is more powerful than the culture surrounding our children. Christ in the heart of your child is the power that overcomes the world. Here's how John said this again to us. You, dear children, are from God. And you have overcome them. You've overcome the world. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Christ in our kids is greater than this antichrist culture. What I would challenge everyone in the room is to begin to pray from this day forward. This ought to be your daily prayer. And if you're like Susan and I, your kids are so bad, you pray about every hour. And you pray, God, as soon as they're old enough to understand, I want you to save them. God, take them on the journey you need to take them on. But Lord, lead them to salvation. And you pray that prayer every day of your life until the day comes where your child receives Christ into their hearts and lives. And you say, why should I do that? Because parents make investments. That's what parenting is all about. And by the way, for those of you now 20, 21, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, parents make investments with the expectation they'll pay off one day. That when you come old enough to make all of your own decisions and go out into the world, you'll make the right decisions. And we believe you will. Parenting is involvement. Let, let me show you this. Exodus 2, 5. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Remember the baskets now on the water. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. Miriam, the teenage girl, blends right in. She's a slave. She saw the basket among the reeds, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. 
he was crying. Princess's heart felt sorry for him. Maybe God pinched Moses on his little buttocks right there at the right moment. And he just wailed. And the princess said, oh, the poor little boy. Isn't he a handsome little fellow? This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Verse 7. Then his sister, Miriam, asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get you one of the Hebrew women to nurse your baby for you? Princess says, well, yes, go. So the little girl went to get the baby's mother, Jochebed, Moses' mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take the baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Truth is stranger than fiction. Plot twist. Miriam, the teenage girl, has been following the basket, floats right up to Pharaoh's daughter who's down bathing in the river. In this royal grand little beach area with steps and servants and waterfalls. And the basket just steered by God steers right up there to the edge of the bank. Baby starts crying. Basket is open. Miriam walks up and says, hey princess, I see you've got a baby. Would you like me to find you a good mother for that baby? To nurse her? Nice family? Uh, Yes, I would, sweetheart. Do you know of a good family? Does she know of a good family? Her mom's at home crying her eyes out right now on her knees, begging God to steer that basket to salvation. She runs home, gets her mother and says, you won't believe how your Wednesday night prayer was just answered. Come here, mother. (laughs) Takes her right down to the palace and says, mom, some mascara. Come on, you're going to meet the princess. Dry your eyes. You know, let's get the puffiness gone. Get a few cucumbers or whatever it takes right here real quick. You're about to meet the princess. And they have a job interview. And the princess says, I'm going to pay you wages to care for my child. The princess mother paid the slave mother a salary to care for her own child in an environment where the world said, we demand your child must die. God gave her a baby and God's going to reward her for staying involved with that baby. Parents, you only have a short time to lay the foundation for a relationship with God with your child it's going to go just like that when you're wrestling them you're thinking no these are long sleepless nights and it won't go just like that trust the rest of us it'll go just like that and it'll be over you have a short time to imprint with them to impress faith upon them and no one has more influence than a parent or a grandparent listen the president doesn't influence your kids you influence them. The school teacher down at the school, and we have some wonderful school teachers, is not the primary influencer in your child's life. You are. Moms and dads and grandparents and family is the greatest influencer. So I want to say to you in closing, leverage your influence. Do not be passive. Leverage your influence. Verse 10, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, And he became her son, the prince of Egypt. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Let me put that in some simple Texan for you. The day came when baby Moses became young boy Moses. And and, and it was now time for him to go live at the palace permanently. They're still coming for your son. They're still coming for him. 
And you've invested in him and you've invested in him and you've invested in him. But you know that today when the knock comes on the door, yet again, you have to let him go out into the world. Now I want to talk to the parents that are a little bit older this morning. Do you remember the first day your little one went off to school? Just to get you all emotionally stirred up this morning. Do you remember? We remember when Susan dropped Jack at preschool, our our youngest, for the first time. She had gotten to stay home for some years there to, to, to be with the kids before she would go back to work. And so she had been with them all the time. She took Jack to preschool for the first day of preschool. And she walked him down the hallway. And he stuck to her leg like a tentacled octopus. And he screamed to the top of his lungs with giant crocodile tears. Mommy, don't let him take me. Mommy, don't let him take me. Mommy, don't make me go. Mommy, no, don't let these people get me. And Susan's heart melted in the hallway of the preschool. And she said in her heart, I don't care if he ever learns to read or write. You're not getting my baby. (laughs) And she picked him up and carried him home. Which explains a lot about Jack, probably. (laughs) I want you to get into that emotion for a moment because that's what Moses' mother's feeling. Don't take my baby. Don't take my baby. Don't take my baby. They're going to take him. So how do you parent? So she gets little Moses and says, okay, Moses, listen. She whispers in his ear, Moses, you're going to go live in the palace now. But listen to what your mom is saying to you. You're Hebrew. We are God's children. We are God's people. You belong to God. You were dedicated to God. Moses, you belong to God. Baby, don't forget God. (laughs) Moses, don't forget who you are. You belong to God. Moses, don't forget who God is. She has reasonable expectation to think where he's going. He's going to hear a whole lot about Jehovah God. And he's not. Moses, don't forget who God is. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who we are. We're a family, and I'll always be here for you, and we'll always be praying for you. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget God. You got it? Okay, baby, Mama loves you. You go with the nice people. Can you feel that in the text? grows to be a fine young man, general in the Egyptian army, a hero of the nation of Israel, conquers the Ethiopians, which nobody could conquer in that day. He becomes famous. He becomes everything, everything you could imagine. He goes into the fast lane of Egyptian society. He's wealthy beyond your imagination. And all of the finest things this world has to offer, all the finery of Egypt is poured into his cup. And he's living high and grand and large. And he's everything in this moment the world is trying to be right now. Everything the world's promoting in America and everything they're telling our children to be, Moses was that and a million times more. In this moment in his life, he was at the very top 
of the world's system. But every once in a while, he hears a voice. The voice of his mother. Baby, don't forget who you are. Don't forget you're God's child. Don't forget you're Hebrew. Don't forget you're God's fan. Don't forget God. And don't forget who you are. You say you think that really happened? 100% I believe it. Not only do I believe it happened with Moses, I believe it's happening with you this morning. And I believe it's happening with your children right now. And I believe it's happened with children of God from every generation. It's happened in my own life. Yeah, I believe it. Acts chapter 7 verse 22 says, Moses was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. Which means that Moses attended the University of Heliopolis, which was in its day the Harvard of the ancient world. And I can guarantee you, that one of Moses' professors said something like this to him. Science tells us that humanity climbed up out of the Nile River in the form of a one-eyed newt or a ball of slime or something, and then over a gajillion years evolved into this and evolved into this, and this is the story of where we came from. And Moses can hear a little voice in his heart and in his head saying, Moses, don't forget where we came from. Moses, don't forget God. Don't forget who you are. When Moses turned 40, we understand from the Bible and from history that Egypt extended to him the Egyptian throne on a silver platter. They said, you are the man and here are the keys to the world. We are the superpower of the world, and sir, here is the nuclear football, and here is the, the, the limousine. Here is everything that comes with being Pharaoh of Egypt. Now let me read you the story, because it ends beautifully. Hebrews chapter 11 records it, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. It was an adult decision he made. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do parents have influence? Baby, don't forget who you are. Don't forget God. Don't forget we dedicated your life to God and you are His. Baby, don't, don't forget God. When he turned 40, he said, Thank you. Thank you, Egypt. But I cannot accept. This is not who I am. I'm one of God's people. I'm a Hebrew. And that is my choice. Parents, you have influence. You must leverage it for the kingdom of God. One day your little one's going to get down on their knees. If you do, with tears making hot, salty rivers down their red cheeks, they're going to confess in a childlike way their sins. 
And they're going to articulate their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're going to pray a simple childlike prayer to ask Jesus to come into their heart. And when they confess their sins and make that proclamation of faith in Christ, they're going to be born again. They're going to be a new creature in Jesus Christ. You're going to have the joy of seeing your sons and daughters grow to be leaders in our student ministry and leaders in our church and disciple makers and dedicate their whole lives to being passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And then they'll turn 20. Twenty-one, twenty-two, and then they're going to have to make some hard decisions on their own because you don't make decisions for them anymore. You say, I'm nervous, don't be. When he was 40, Moses said, I still hear your voice, mom and dad. I know who I am, and I know what I'm going to do with my life. And Moses made the right decision. I'm confident that our young adults will also. Your head's bowed and your eyes are closed. Let's end with a little prayer this morning and a prayer of dedication. Christians are praying all over the room, praying for one another. Parents, you cannot lead your children to a place you've never been. So before we dedicate the children, we first have to dedicate ourselves, the parents. And what I'm going to ask this morning is that every adult in the room dedicate their lives to Christ this morning. Every adult say, God, here am I. I'm your child. God, here's my life. God, I want my life to count. Lord, I want to invest. I want to be engaged. I want to be involved. I want to make disciples. Lord, I want to make a difference in this world. I don't want to just live a life that at the end of my life, I don't know really what happened or what was accomplished, but God, I want to make a difference for you and for the kingdom of God. Listen, COVID's been hard on you. I get it. COVID has knocked Christians off their schedule, off their game, off their routines, off their dedication. And I realize that for most of you, you're not where you were a year ago. You've regressed in many ways in your walk with the Lord. This morning is a clear moment of decision where God's people need to say this way, okay, God, I am back. I'm not just talking about church attendance. I'm talking about God, I'm back. I mean, I'm going to engage this week. I'm going to dedicate myself afresh today to being what you want me to be. We can dedicate the children. They don't have any choice in the matter. But you have the power of choice this morning. Are you willing to use it the right way and say, God, here am I? Listen, if God's speaking to your heart in some some way this morning and you're 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 saying to God right now God I need kind of a restart a reset or a refocus a recommissioning in my own life and God you've spoken to my heart this morning and I'm stirred about it and I know I need to do something about it I'm not going to call you or embarrass you 
But I just wonder if that's you. Would you lift a hand so I can pray for you in just a moment? God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you. Let's don't be afraid to dedicate our own selves first. Some of you in this room are the children who are now grown. And now you're exercising the power of choice. How are you exercising it? Because I believe in your own heart, you hear the voice of your parents and you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit of God saying, I'm not going to give up on you. You belong to God. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget me. I love you. And now you're like Moses. You have to make some adult decisions for your own life about what the next days hold for you. Are you going to live your life dedicated to the Lord as a young adult? Or are you going to wake up at about 40 and say, wow, I just wasted 20 years. Why not rededicate your life to Christ this morning? While your heads and hearts are bowed, I want to say to every adult in the room, the greatest gift you can give to a child is a parent who's saved. A parent who's walking in faith. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, mom and dad, aunt, uncle, young adult, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay your sin debt. He took your punishment so that you could be forgiven. This morning, you just turn your heart in faith to Him and you cry out to Him and say, Dear Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you are the Savior of the world. I believe you are everything the Bible declares you to be and I want you in my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Oh God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save me today. Lord, I want to lead the way in being your follower today. Pray that prayer and Christ will save you. Father, as we bow before you in unison this morning, Lord, our hearts are open. We feel your Holy Spirit and hear your voice speaking to us. God, let this be a real line of demarcation in our walk with you. As many of the parents articulated, I think Bill even said this in the video a moment ago, God, this, it's time. It's now time for a fresh dedication and a fresh engagement. God, let today be the day of our dedication as well as these children. This is our prayer together as a church family. In Jesus' name.